There's murder on the dance floor, so please don't kill the groove. Welcome to Overthinking in Your Underwear. Welcome to the first show of the year. Yeah, we're back. Took kind of a break, not a weekend break, not a week break, but more of like a college break, you know, kind of like one of those three-week sleepy long college breaks. That's what I was doing. That's what I was doing. So let's address the singing. Let's address the singing right away. It's not my fault. It's my best friend Trisha's fault. Best friend Trisha, you've met before. She has always told me I have the best singing voice. And she's not gassing me up just to embarrass me. We'll be in like a group of people, like a group of people who have never met us before. And she'll suddenly look at me and be like, Lindsay has the best singing voice. And I'm not delusional. I know I don't. I know I do not. But it's like, I have the best singing voice between me and Trisha. I don't have the best singing voice between me and Lady Gaga, yet it has somehow given her this concept or this idea that I have a really good singing voice. And I know I do not, but I have heard her say it for 20 years now. So I continue to sing and I sing and I sing out loud and I sing in the shower and now I sing to you. There was one time we were in our 20s. We were at our friend, our dear friend Katie's engagement party and there was a guy playing a guitar and Trisha taunted me and I went up and started singing Eternal Flame by the Bangles. I think it's the Bangles with this guy and he looked at me like at first he looked at me like kind of excited like oh I've got someone to like add a little bit to this musical act and then I started singing and he looked at me like what gives you the confidence to think you can stand here and open your mouth and first of all I was like well a Trisha gives me the confidence and b four vodka tonics four vodka tonics gave me the confidence which kind of leads to our subject matter today which is dry January. And of all my drinking stories, like I'm usually very embarrassed and I want to take them all back. But that one, I kind of love. It's a really kind of a funny memory and makes me laugh. Total side note, I have no idea why it came out of my mouth. Sorry about that. But let's talk about what I've been up to related back to the singing. What I've been watching, what I've been reading, what I've been doing, because on those kind of long, sleepy college breaks, you tend to kind of dig into some TV shows, binge a little. Let's talk about it. So that song was from Saltburn, if you're in the know, right? Or if you're like a 20-year-old, which I kind of fancy myself to be a 20-year-old. Saltburn is on Amazon. Sorry, took me a sec. Saltburn is on Amazon. And starring Jacob Elordi, he's your Gen Z god. I worship at the altar with you. He is amazing. This is not my hot take. I've heard people say it. He is the Leonardo DiCaprio of this generation. I agree. Hot, sexy, talented, multifaceted. Can't take your eyes off him. Love it. Love him. He's amazing in it. It's really more Barry Keoghan's. He's the star. He's the lead. He's the one that's like carrying the uh, story through protagonist. This guy is just his movie. He's really amazing in it. The whole thing is British. And I don't know what it is about like a British movie. The minute you hear that accent, you're like, they're smarter than me. 
they're more clever than I am. This is going to be artsy. This is going to be good. I am bought in the second I hear that accent, right? And also like the words they use, I just want to start using them that way when they're like, I'm clever. I'm clever. I'm not going to try to do the accent. You would die, okay? I'll sing for you. I will not do a British accent. Saltburn gave me a lot of nostalgia for some other movies that I love. It gave me some talented Mr. Ripley vibes, which I've heard some other people have that take. It also gave me match point vibes, is problematic now because of Woody Allen and he's kind of ruined his whole genre for everyone and I love his movies and I have was a huge Woody Allen fan, but Matchpoint is one of his best. I love that genre of like the aristocracy and there's like an interloper making their way in and chaos ensues, catastrophe ensues, that rich people behaving badly is always just so fun to watch whenever there's that kind of genre of movie. Netflix should actually soar by that, like rich people behaving badly. And I think we would all just be like, add to favorites. If you're kind of loving Saltburn, I would check out The Talented Mr. Ripley and Matchpoint. They give you kind of the same taste in such a yummy way. Loving those two things. Oh, I also watched, which is more obscure, called A Nearly Normal Family on Netflix. And it is a psychological thriller. It's Dutch. All the uh, voices are dubbed in. I'm not picking that to sound like I'm cool or anything like that. It just pops up. So I think I watched one Dutch procedural at some point, and now that's like all they're serving up to me. But I clicked on this one, and it was really good. The dub-in does not bother you at all, and you would, you'll would you really like it. If you like a psychological thriller, which I love, it's like every genre I read, I watch, I listen to. That's what I'm watching. What I've been reading is Lisa Jewell books. So I read her new book called None of This is True. And then I realized that I looked her up as we do. And she has written 19 other books. So since Thanksgiving, I think I've written I've read five of her books now. They are in that Gone Girl category of books author of Gone Girl is escaping me right now and I do not know why but kudos to her because she has honestly created a whole category of books. You know exactly what I mean when I say it's a Gone Girl type book. It means it's gripping, it means it's riveting, unreliable narrator, girls gone wild in the literary sense. That's what's going on here and you'll love her books if you like Gone Girl. So that's what I was reading. That's what I was watching. Despite being someone who is overthinking personal growth all the time, I'm always overthinking pop culture. Right now, I can think of no bigger pop culture moment, especially if you are a girl in Kansas City, a person in Kansas City, than Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is dating Travis Kelsey in case you didn't know that everyone has their hot take on it. Everyone's talked about it forever. So it's like, really, do you need to hear about it? But let me just tell you this really quick. From a Kansas City perspective, you feel like every errand you run, you could possibly run into Taylor Swift. That's the that's the feeling we're getting here, okay? It's so kinetic to have Taylor Swift in our city, our little city that rarely see celebrities. We're not New York. We're not LA. We don't we're not used to seeing people walking around. So to see her in the box, to see 
pictures of her on Instagram at restaurants we all go to, at bars we frequent. She lives amongst us. That's this text. This That's what I've been saying to my friends and my family all the time. I'll send them like a clip of her at a bar that we go to or a restaurant we go to. And I just say she lives amongst us. That's what we're feeling here in Kansas City. So that's like the biggest pop culture thing going on for us right now. It feels like it's going on for the whole country, which is what makes it even more exciting. That's probably what I'm overthinking the most is definitely Travis and Taylor. I have a big question of if I did see them, like, would I say anything? Because you always want to be that person that just kind of like gives a nod. You know what? I got you. You're cool, but I'm not going to invade your space. It happens to you all the time. I can respect you enough, respect you as an artist, respect you as an athlete. You need your space, right? But you know you'd probably lose your shit, right? I don't know. If we ran into her, you know, we would just give a slight nod, right? We're cool. And she was like, no, we're not. We're not cool. And I'm like, you're probably right. Those are just a few things that I was overthinking. For Taylor's sake, I hope she does not run into my family. And um, let's get into the subject matter at hand. Ready? Let's overthink it. So first of all, I just wanted to talk about a little bit of a rut I had in the middle of December. So ruts are just getting down a little bit. And I wanted to talk about that because it happens to all of us. And what happened was I got sick in the middle of December. And for all of my uh, chronic illness babes out there, um, I feel you. I have uh, chronic migraines, and with it comes a lot of fatigue and nausea, and sometimes I can't get out of bed for a long time. And it was about two weeks that I was down, and it can really get to you, you know, physically and emotionally when you feel like that. And I'm not asking for a pity party because I know people have way bigger things than that, and I'm grateful that it's only... um, what it is. But when you feel like that, sometimes what happens, and this is what happened to me, like the physical part starts to wane and you start to feel better. And then you're battling the emotional part, you know, you're battling the emotional part of, okay, I know I'm physically feeling better, but I feel really down now just because I'm trying to like rev up my body again. Sometimes I think like some of the medicine that I take for my migraines gets me down too. So I had to like, I felt like start from square one, (laughs) maybe not square one, but go through a lot of those practices that I have talked to you guys about. I really I literally went back and listened to uh, that seven steps to happiness that I shared with you guys. And I was like, okay, what do I need to do to get happy? In that, I say something that I think is so important, which is build a foundation where happiness can find its footing. And that, that one is the most important. And it's really just like creating happiness habits. Like, and I had to just remind myself, get up go to yoga, eat good food, get good sleep, 
do these things and you will feel better. And one thing I did that um, I think helped me was it was, it was just a Monday, which, you know, Mondays are never good. And I said to myself, okay, do the things, you know, you need to do, you know, those happiness habits. And by this time next week, like you might feel bad for a week, you know, just like, don't overthink it. There's that word. Don't overthink it. But by this time next week, I guarantee you will be better. There's there's no way you're going to feel as bad as you feel now if you if you do those things. And I did. I got up and went to yoga even though I didn't want to. Um, I ate I ate good food even though you know you want a pizza when you feel like that. Um, I was productive. You know all the things, right? All the things you know you need to be doing. I don't drink anymore, so. Um, it wasn't a matter of like, okay, don't drink. But if, if that is a place you are in where you're trying to pull out, I would say do not drink. Um, drinking is a depressant. So I did those things. And a week later, I am not saying that I was like at my all-time best and feeling the happiest I've ever felt, but I was like, I moved the needle. I definitely moved the needle. And that was a great lesson on just... Um, the power we have, that we are in control, and that our happiness habits work. And so I kind of just was like, okay, let's keep going. Let's keep doing this. And um, uh, happy to report I'm, I'm much better, feeling good physically and emotionally. But I just wanted to share that with you to let you guys know we all get in ruts, we all get in low places, and we all have to kind of do a reset, whether it's like kicked off from a physical illness or an emotional, you know, emotional thing from a breakup or something that happens within your family or a job setback. We all get in those, we all get in those places. And um, we have to just kind of start those happiness habits over again, whether it's exercising, doing a gratitude list, talking to ourselves in a positive way, eliminating things that bring us down, whether that whether that's drinking every night and you go, well, why am I drinking every night when I know that I'm in a low place? Why am I adding something to myself that's making me feel worse? Which kind of brings me to um, the next topic of this podcast, which is dry January. So we are in that month of dry January. So I wanted to do a little topic about drinking um, today. And if you've listened to this podcast, I talk about drinking a lot. I mean, you might say I'm obsessed with it. I am obsessed with it. Dry January came about because it was a... I'm going to get this wrong because I'm not looking it up right now. I just kind of know this fact. It was a campaign by um, like Stop Drinking UK or something, and their campaign was Dry January. Like, go dry in January to get people to quit drinking less. It was like the British Council of Alcohol or whatever. Lots of times, things things kind of catch on. They kind of catch on in the culture and even spread over here uh, to the United States, and we go, well, why are where did this come from? It kind of seems like it's something that's that's around all the time. And uh, it, it was actually an advertising campaign. Santa Claus, also an advertising campaign, in case you didn't know that. Um, so, and I hope there's no, you know, eight-year-olds listening to this. I don't think I have a lot of eight-year-olds listening to my podcast. Dry January was an advertising campaign 
um, started in the UK and has really caught on as a cultural movement that a lot of people do stopping drinking in January to kind of give themselves a reset. Dry January is great to remind people about the effects of alcohol, about the benefits of going dry. But at the same time, if you're just not drinking in January and then saving up, saving up, saving up, and you can't wait to go crazy in February, it's really not doing you any good. And it's, you know, you really are, you know, drinking just as much the other 11 months of the year. And you're sitting there in January thinking about all the things you're going to drink in February. It's really not that great. If you're taking this month to kind of reset and think about how you're going to mindfully drink the rest of the year, if you're thinking about um, maybe resetting and revising your relationship with alcohol, great. That's really, I I think, I'm sure what the British Council of Alcohol um, had intended when they started this, not that people would take a break and then, you know, have have a go all out wild February. So to back up just a little bit, to tell you a little bit about my relationship with alcohol, um, I am one of those people that is just not a good drinker. I do not think I'm an alcoholic per se, but I am a bad drinker. And I say this quote a lot because I, I thought it was really poignant. I was having a conversation with my therapist years ago and I was telling her yet another story about, well... I blacked out and then I did this and it wasn't great. And I was like, I mean, you know, I don't drink all the time. It's not like I go home and, you know, three, drink a bottle of wine every night. I'm not a daily drinker. I'm clearly not an alcoholic. And she said, you could have a problem with alcohol and not be an alcoholic. And I was like, and that hit me. And that hit me really hard, that statement, because I was like, I do have a problem with alcohol, but I'm not an alcoholic. And I had always kind of equated all of the things you need to be an alcoholic. You need to have, do you need to have, do you need to drink a six pack a day? Do you need to drink alone? Do you need to, you know, have alcohol affect your job and affect your relationships? Do you need to have all of this like checklist that we see all the time to be considered quote unquote an alcoholic and have to give up drinking? And no, that's not true. You can just have a problematic drinking. You can just have a problem with alcohol. You can just be not a good drinker and decide this doesn't suit my life. This isn't who I want to be. This does not make me the best version of who I want to be. And decide that you don't want it in your life anymore. And that's where I came to with it was I have a problem with alcohol. And if there's something that I have a problem with, I do not want it in my life anymore. So I had kind of gone through my life and my, you know, 18 to 30 years old drinking, you know, at the same pattern and at the same rate I saw the people around me. Um, my best friend who's been on this podcast is four inches taller than me, five inches taller than me, six inches taller than me. She's a lot taller than me. She's a lot taller than me. I was always trying to drink as much as she could drink, as much as she drank, because I really didn't understand when we were younger. I didn't understand that she was metabolizing things different than differently than me, even without height and weight. 
genetically, you can just metabolize alcohol differently. And I think I just metabolized it differently and didn't handle alcohol well. It was not something that I could handle. I'd have a drink and I could immediately feel it. It it made me feel bad. It gave me headaches. I had hangovers. I mean, I don't even know why I ever drank. Okay. Um, I, it was really just something that did not suit my life. I would black out. I would feel really bad about myself the next day. Um, I would wonder what I said. I would wonder what I did. I would put myself in harm's way. There's a story that I've told on the podcast about, um, I passed out in a cab the next day. I didn't know how I got to my apartment and I found out later that the cab driver and a neighbor had to walk me to my apartment, essentially. Um, and that really, you know, all, all, all turned out well. But really, what really scared me was that I was in such a state that I was incapacitated in the back of a cab and I did not know how to get myself home. And that's a really scary thing to be and a place to put yourself in as a young woman. So... That really scared. I really scared my. I really scared myself sober. I'll tell you. Um, I realized it just was not for me. Okay, so I got to the place in my thirties that I just realized. You know, I think I tried maybe to do. I'm going to have a drink here or a drink there, and I'll be honest. I would go out for happy hour and I'd be like, I'm going to have one drink. I'm going to have one drink. And I was just never someone that could have one drink. I would have two drinks that would turn to five drinks and it would just, it would end up at the same place that I was before. And I remember sitting there and telling myself, okay, you can go out tonight and have one drink. You can have one drink. But if that one drinks turns into four drinks and you're hungover tomorrow, you can't have any. Like it's, This is a trust exercise that you have with yourself. And that's something that I talk about a lot too, that like self-trust is the most important trust you have in your life. It is the most important thing you have in your life. And if you can't trust yourself, you don't have anything and it really affects your self-worth. And I didn't trust myself for a long time and I can't tell you how badly I felt about myself. The feeling of I'm going to go out and have one drink and I knew I was lying to myself and I did not trust myself that that one drink wasn't going to turn into four. That was a horrible feeling. It was a horrible feeling not to trust yourself. And I went through that for a while. So I said that you could have a one drink and then I knew I was lying. (laughs) I knew I was lying. I knew I couldn't trust the most important person in my life, which was me. And I'd go out and I'd have one drink and the one drink would turn into four. And the next morning I'd wake up and I'd have a horrible hangover. I just had these horrible hangovers. The worst part wasn't the physical feeling. It was the emotional feeling that I had broken, that I had broken a promise to myself. That was a horrible feeling that I couldn't trust myself. And it actually seeps into every other part of your life. When you think, well, if you go, if you're, if you go out with a guy and you say, well, I'm not going to call him back, you don't really trust yourself. Your word means nothing. You think, well, I didn't, I, I don't trust myself about the drinking. I don't trust myself not to text him back if I say I'm not going to text him back. I have a work project. I say I'm going to get it done on by Friday. Well, I don't know. Am I going to do that? I'm not a trustworthy person. I am not a trustworthy person when it comes to me 
when it comes to me relying on myself and your self-trust, I can't even, I cannot even tell you how important it is. And it takes time. It takes time to build that up and earn it back once you've broken it. After I realized I finally got to the point, when I finally got to the point where I said, clearly the one, clearly this just having one drink doesn't work. Clearly you're not a trustworthy person. <laughs> clearly this doesn't, clearly your word means nothing. You're going to have to go, you're going to have to go nothing. Um, I, I did. And I said, okay, I'm, I, I'm done. I'm done with this. So I quit drinking and at first it was hard. It was hard because situationally drinking alcohol is so woven into the fabric of our lives and our society, as you guys all know. I mean, everyone says, let's go grab a drink. Do you want to have a drink? I mean, whether if in a dating situation, people want to have a drink, let's have a drink. If in a girlfriend situation, let's have a glass of wine. Let's have a wine night. Let's get, let's get drinks. And it's so awkward. I'll just say it's so awkward to not drink, um, in a society that holds alcohol up as hero. It is very, very awkward. So at the beginning, um, I didn't, at the, at the beginning, I didn't know what to do. I'll be honest. Um, you go out to happy hours and I say this in the book, in the beginning, you have to tell per, every person you ever happied your hour with that you don't drink anymore. Every person that you used to, I mean, we all have those party friends. We all have those we all have those friends that we used to go out and drink with and we used to stay up late and order another bottle and get another round. We all have those friends. As great as your friends are, I think it, they, they're taken aback and I understand why that's hard for them. And they kind of go, oh, okay, all right. And at first it's very hard and eventually, eventually they get it. And I think at first they don't really believe you. They don't really trust you because you know what? You don't really trust yourself. And then they get it. They get that you really are going to order water or deny the drink or just have a Diet Coke. And before the wa the waiter can even give you the wine list, they say, she just doesn't drink. And sitting through those social situations and those happy hours are they're itchy. I have to tell you, it, it's itchy at first. And you're like, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't know what to do. Like, this is very weird. Um, it's awkward. Now I will, let me just tell you now, I don't find it awkward anymore. A few years later, I don't find it awkward. I always order a Sprite. I kind of like nurse the Sprite or I have a Diet Coke. And those aren't things I normally drink, like just in my everyday life. So they're kind of fun, I guess. Um, I love to have an appetizer. <laughs> so I'm just like, those are my treats and I'm eating my appetizer. Um, I'm drinking my drinks. I'm drinking my sugary drinks while my friends are having their, having their cocktails. And that's fine for me. And I don't feel, I don't feel awkward about it. Now, I'm also at an age where happy hour really is a few hours. 
if it was longer than that, I'm not going out till two in the morning with anyone. I'm not staying up till I'm not going, I'm not bar hopping and going out till midnight. So if you're at, you know, if you're 25 and you're trying to stop drinking, I have a lot more sympathy for that because I have a lot of sympathy for you because I understand that, you know, your friends will start happy hour and then they want to go to the next bar and they want to go to the next bar and they go to late night bars and they want to go to after bars and keeping that momentum and keeping that energy is really, really hard. Whereas I'm at the age where my friends and I go to happy hour or dinner and it's a few hours and that they want to go home. They have families, they have work the next day. We're all busy. We are all in our forties. It's, it's not, no one's staying out till two in the morning, no matter if they're having cocktails or not. But if you are younger, I understand how that's so hard. And what I will tell you, if you are younger, go to the happy hour, go to the party. When it gets to be 11 o'clock and your friends are staying out till two, go home. I mean, if you want to stay out and you're, you have fun being sober and dancing till two in the morning and it's no problem, absolutely do it. But if it's 11 o'clock and it's painful, go home. You're not going to miss anything. No one really even remembers. No one is going to remember. I mean, I've been in those situations and I've ducked out and my friends have said the next day, they think I'm there. They go, oh, do you remember this? Oh, were you there for this? Oh, did this happen? Do you, did you, did you do this? Did you go with us there? Did you go with us to the next bar? And I'm like, I went home at 11. They don't even remember. Like, don't make yourself think you have to stay up for your friend's blackout. You don't. Go home at 11 when you're ready to go home. It's completely fine, right? You don't have to stay up. And I will say the quitting of the drinking is one of the best, if not the best thing I have done for myself. It really is. If you are struggling with anxiety or depression, self-worth, and you are drinking too much, it is the one thing you can do to really shift things. I, I can't emphasize it enough. I don't mean to get on a soapbox, but I just want people to know it's such the secret sauce that you can do to really change things. It really can. I mean, it gives you clarity. It gives you, it alleviates depression. Oh, I held up my thumb and it did a thumbs up. How strange. Okay. For me, someone who's like an overthinker, like a big time overthinker, and when you're drunk, you do these things that are outside yourself and you feel bad and you said something stupid or you hook up with a guy that you shouldn't. And then the next day you're beating the next week, you're beating yourself up. You feel terrible. You're overthinking how you acted. It takes so much time and so much effort to get yourself back on the right path. Like you're always correcting for the mistakes you made on the weekend. How can you ever get yourself on the right path? If you're always correcting for the mistakes you made on the weekend. I mean, I just don't, it just, it doesn't work. It does not work. So I also think this, that the not drinking was such a crucial element to the self-trust. The self-trust took time. It took time for me to believe that I really wasn't going to drink when I went out on that, when I went out to a happy hour or I had to go to a Christmas party or whatever it was, it took time for me to earn that trust. But with every kind of event or social gathering or whatever it was, I earned my trust back in little increments and elements, right? So 
I started to trust myself and that felt so good. And that did so much for my self-worth and it bled over to other elements of my life where I trusted myself. I knew my word had weight and I knew if I said I was going to do something, I was going to do it. And before I didn't know that, before I didn't believe that because I had lost so much, I had lost so much trust and I had lost so much credibility with myself. If you're trying to quit drinking or smoking or anything and any kind of addictive behavior, um, a little bit of advice, uh, a little bit of advice that I can give is um, in the book I have, I always have like these exercises that go with things. So take open, take a, take a blank sheet of paper and write down at the top, like quit drinking. And on the right side, write down everything you get from from stopping drinking? What would you gain from it? What would you gain? Clear head, better sleep, uh, more self-confidence. Maybe I would perform better at work. Maybe I could get to work earlier. Maybe I could start working out. Maybe I could work out better. Maybe um, I'd lose weight. Uh, Maybe I'd have less anxiety. And then on the other side, write what you would gain um, from keeping your behavior. Social situations are easier. I'd still have wine night with my friends. Write down what you gain from quitting and what you gain from keeping it. And then see how it see how it weighs out. And you know what? Maybe wine night with your friends outweighs all the benefits. I'm not here to tell you anything. And you'll get to the point where one way one side weighs out the other, and you'll decide what's best for you in your life. But I think kind of seeing that on paper can sometimes push you in one direction or another, or at least help you see, help you see the benefits. And I think when it comes to addiction or drinking or behaviors that we all know, you know, we all know drinking is is a bit of uh has its downsides. It's it's very personal, you know, like it it's not like I drank through my 30s thinking this is a great behavior. I should continue this. You just get to the point where you're like enough is enough. I've had enough of this. I'm ready for something better. Um so it's all just very personal when you decide that you're done with something. It's it's the same with a partner, right? When you're done with a problematic partner, I'm done with this. My friends can tell me for years that this is this should be over that this is enough that you that you're going to be better off but not until that moment that it really hits you that you've really reached your limit are you going to stop for yourself right so it's the same with drinking it's the same with smoking it's the same with whatever it is it's all so personal and you have to figure out what's best for your life kind of my thoughts on alcohol and dry january i'm sure i'll talk about alcohol again i'm obsessed with it sorry um and thanks so much for overthinking with me this week and until next time wishing you all good thoughts